Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I am going to be talking about something today that was actually inspired by a conversation that Nate and I had on a recent dinner date night. And it's something that has come up with us before and something that I've thought a lot about. I've even shared this before with clients. And so I want to unpack it more with you today. And before I do, at the time of this podcast going live, there are going to be a couple of private coaching clients who are just finishing up either mid-August or beginning of September. And so I wanted to share that if you're listening to today's episode and you're realizing that some of what's coming up and some of what I'm sharing are things that you would still like to work on a little bit, things that you would like to practice, things that you would like to embody in your own life or in your own relationship, and you feel like it could benefit you to learn and be in the company of a coach who's holding you accountable, who's been there, and who can guide you through some potential areas that you are not feeling like you can navigate on your own, then I highly encourage you to check out the show notes. I will put more information about my 12-week private coaching program and the application to join. So with that said, the reason I teed that up is because today's topic relates to the work that I do with clients and not just with clients, but what I share on social media, what I've been learning about the last three plus years. And the topic for today is essentially that even though what I'm sharing about for the most part is centered around relationship anxiety or relationship OCD, it's not necessarily the only thing that I do, and it's not necessarily actually the most important part of the work I do with clients. Like knowing how to navigate relationship anxiety is such a small little window into actually everything that we're doing. And that's because I believe that relationship anxiety is really just the culmination of so many different threads of being human. Like Nate and I were talking about this. I was telling him some of the things that I was supporting clients but then he was like I feel like some of these things are just human challenges like this isn't necessarily just relationship related this is just being human and it's very very true and I've thought about this a lot before if we are someone who values relationships which I think most people really do I mean it's human to want to connect with people and to be in the company of people and of course we've been told the message like being in a relationship is great and something that can be very fulfilling filling. So I think that if we are someone who values relationships, be it romantic, be it friends, family, whatever, if we value connection with other humans, then our relationships of all kinds are going to naturally be areas that we are going to add pressure to ourselves. Because if relationships are really meaningful to us, then we would want our relationships to be as fulfilling as possible, especially if we come from a lens of maybe wanting to always get it right and do the right thing and be good and be perfect. And so today I'm going to share what I've actually found relationship anxiety to be about 
not necessarily just like, oh, I'm anxious in my relationship, but there's a lot more to it. I'm going to share the threads that I've really discovered of relationship anxiety and why it tends to happen. And then I'm also going to share some tools that can help us lean into our humanity more and just show up in the world as a person, not necessarily as this person struggling with relationship anxiety, but learning to just be more human. I'm probably going to say the word human like a hundred times in this episode, so bear with me. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. I'll just kind of start with the list that I have here in front of me. I just jotted down a few ideas and I'm going to riff on them. So the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about how relationship anxiety is just this portal into us really being human is that so much of this work is actually about feeling our feelings, especially when they're uncomfortable. So if we have anxiety in our relationship, then it's really uncomfortable. Like there's, it's the discomfort of uncertainty. There's this discomfort of feeling doubt. There's discomfort of maybe feeling guilt or shame or sadness or grief, irritation, whatever it is. And so part of the practice of just showing up more fully in our life is learning how to get in tune with our feelings, our emotions, and our sensations. And to have a more open relationship with them instead of a more fearful relationship or a more shame-based relationship. When we have an unwillingness to lean into our feelings or if we judge certain feelings as good and others as bad, it's hard to be our full selves because then we're always trying to avoid certain experiences like feeling this way and we're trying to chase after other experiences. So maybe we're trying to chase after happiness and feelings of in love and we're trying to avoid any doubt and feelings of irritation. And as you can see, then we're only making space for certain areas of our life or our relationship. A big piece of this learning emotional regulation, and this is something I'm still working on for myself, and it's not something that many people I think have properly been taught, and that is no judgment or shade against any of our caretakers or teachers or anything like that. It's just that we can only teach what we know. And so somebody brought up in one of the reviews of my podcast, um, I would love to hear you talking a little bit more about breaking the cycles and the patterns of generational trauma or generational patterns in this podcast. And I feel like this is a perfect example of emotional regulation being something that we might have to break the cycle of because maybe we didn't fully learn how to do that. We didn't fully learn how to sit with our feelings or we didn't know how to even identify what we were feeling and then move through it and know that it would be okay. And so we in this informational age may be some of the first people in our family lines who are actually proactively going towards these emotions and feelings and learning how to be with them. And if so, then that's going to be really challenging and it can be very intimidating, but it's also really exciting and empowering as well. When it comes to feeling our feelings, there's this great book. I've just started reading it, so I can't fully vouch for it yet. But uh, Mark Freeman is someone who has talked a lot about his recovery from OCD. He has a lot of great YouTube videos. He's a great resource. And his book is called You Are Not a Rock. And basically what he means by that is that rocks can't feel anything. They just sit there. Um, They don't do anything. And being human, on the other hand, comes with feeling a lot of feelings, feeling sensations, having experiences that are highs and lows, ups and downs. But so often if we're experiencing anxiety or for many of my clients who identify more as having OCD, we just want to turn off all of our feelings sometimes. But I feel like it's a playful way of reminding us like you are not a rock. You're not a rock. You're a human and you have feelings and that's okay and it's not something to judge yourself for. 
I just think in to that point of you are not a rock, it's just about embracing the messiness sometimes and trusting that it's part of the journey to have these ups and downs and messiness and that it's all okay. So when it comes to feeling our feelings, a tool or a takeaway here that you can just kind of sit with is something called sensation without explanation. And if you haven't already heard the podcast episode with Dr. Russell Kennedy, I believe it was number 27. It's a few episodes back. And he talks about this practice of feeling our sensations that are coming up in the body. So maybe it's our throat feeling tight or our chest feeling heavy, our stomach kind of swirling a little bit, feeling a little bit warm, clammy, whatever it is. Practicing feeling those sensations without any explanation on top of what it means, if it's good, bad, right, or wrong, but just getting in tune with our bodies, both when our bodies actually feel at ease and when our bodies may be not feeling so much at ease so that we can start paying attention more and actually being present of what's going on in our body and not just only noticing it when we're having a quote, quote, anxious reaction, so to speak. So this first point of feeling our feelings and emotional regulation, this is just a part of of life. And for many of us, maybe this is the experience of relationship anxiety is like the first time that this has really become such a big thing for us to practice managing and that's okay. The next topic that can often show up because of relationship anxiety but is just part of life is uncertainty. This is inevitable. Um, and back in 2019, none of us could have predicted what was going to happen in 2020. And that's just part of being human. Now, that's not relationship related, but I think that when it comes to relationships, there's also a lot of uncertainties because we can control how we act and how we believe a relationship could go, but we can't control another person in a relationship or other people in a relationship. And so there is a risk. There is uncertainty. We don't have guarantees. But for many of us hearing the things of when you know, you know, and when you find the one, it will just be easy. And I know that this is my soulmate. It can feel really confusing because those people have a lot more confidence than we do. We think those people have certainty about how their relationship will unfold, but they don't because no one gets certainty beyond the present moment. However, they have maybe perhaps more confidence. And confidence is something that we can practice building up, whereas certainty is not necessarily in our control. I think another component of this is feeling paralyzed by the the question marks of life. So I don't know, or maybe, and maybe there is, you know, this other person out there that could be a better fit. I actually don't know that. And sitting with that discomfort and allowing that to be there and then still making a choice based on that and being okay with maybe being okay with I don't know and I do think this is just such a big part of the human experience and so not feeling shame if there is fear around uncertainty this fear of uncertainty can also show up as a hesitation to want to take risks which is very understandable because we want to protect ourselves yet as I kind of just shared, it is risky to be in a relationship. It is risky to give our hearts to someone and not fully knowing how it's going to work out. And so there isn't necessarily a fulfilling relationship without an element of risk to it. 
and that's just my belief. So instead of trying to safeguard every single possibility in our relationship and have full control, leaning into not knowing the outcome, but still going for it and taking that leap of faith. So when it comes to life's uncertainties, a tool that you can focus on, maybe this is kind of more of a practice, if you will, is focusing on what is in your control versus what is not in your control. Because when things are uncertain, oftentimes if we are so busy focusing on the uncertainty, which is oftentimes out of our control, then that makes it feel bigger and scarier. Whereas when you can focus on what's in your control, such as your actions, your mindset, how you respond to something, then you will feel more empowered versus focusing what isn't on your control, which is the thoughts that you think or the emotions that you feel. Now, so often we want to try and control those thoughts and emotions, but instead what can be helpful is to allow thoughts or emotions to happen without trying to control or change them. And then after these things happen, we can choose how we want to respond and what actions to take next. Next, a pillar of relationship anxiety that's also part of being human is this invitation to build more trust in ourselves and this invitation to practice discernment of what is for me and what is not for me and this invitation to pave our own unique way forward in our life. Now, if you're anything like I was, when you're in the thick of relationship anxiety, sometimes it's tempting to just want someone to say, this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do, and this is exactly how a relationship should look and feel and it would almost be as if someone gave us this roadmap of how to have a relationship and if we don't fully trust ourselves which can happen for many reasons and it's not necessarily our fault it's just something that may be present is lack of self-trust then there's going to be anxiety about what to do when things feel uncertain and there can also be anxiety around maybe I don't trust the future version of myself to be able to handle this And so as much as it's scary, I think that part of life is learning as we go. And sometimes that even will mean learning through making a mistake, quote, quote. Mistake is not my favorite word because it's very shame based. But I think that we all understand what that means when I'm saying it in this context. So if we live our life trying to avoid any sort of mistake, anything going wrong or anything not going to plan, then we're actually robbing ourselves of a chance to learn a lot. We don't only just learn through things going well. We learn what maybe is or isn't working through mistakes or challenges. And in this invitation, which is both part of relationship anxiety and part of just life, it's this opportunity to learn what works for me, what doesn't work for me, and creating our own life rules, so to speak of, oh yeah, like this does really work for me. This is really exciting. This does feel like it could be a good path for me versus, okay, I tried that and I don't think that's the direction I want to go and that's okay. And maybe there's some sadness around that, but learning from the experience and not just only trying to have positive outcomes. So if you are looking to build more self-trust, of course, In this podcast, the whole focus isn't on self-trust necessarily. This is just one pillar. So I may in the future do another episode on this. But one practice or one tool that you can start implementing to build self-trust is making a point to proactively check in with yourself. And 
little bit more of a consistent basis. So does this thing resonate with me? Or how did this thing play out? What can I learn here? And just making it a point to have that practice, not just once a year, but regularly so that you are constantly building that relationship with yourself. And just because you ask yourself the question of does this resonate or how did this play out? What can I learn? It doesn't mean that you always have to take action right away, but just starting to get in the habit of having that dialogue with yourself from a place of curiosity. Next, one pillar of relationship anxiety that definitely plays out in most areas of life and just being human in general is this balancing act of expectations versus reality. So I will be the first to raise my hand and say sometimes I have such high expectations of myself and of how things are going to go. And I know that many people in the You Love and You Learn community can relate because I know a lot of my clients can relate and I feel like my clients are a metaphor for the rest of my community. So when we are going around with expectations of this is how this should go, this is how this should look, here's where I thought I should be at this age, this is how I thought things should feel, this is who I thought I would end up with, then there's a lot of potential areas for things to not go exactly that way. And you've probably heard some sort of saying like this, where when you take our expectations and then minus the reality of it, that gap is usually where there's room for disappointment. So that doesn't mean that we just throw away any expectation or goal, but it's helpful to check in with ourselves and remember that if we are expecting something to go an exact certain way, it doesn't leave very much wiggle room for life to unfold. And so it's It's one of these things where it's a balancing act of having, you know, goals and visions, but being a little bit loose about how those goals and visions come to life. So for example, if I was setting a goal for myself of I need to move into a brand new house by the year 2025, whatever it is, Nate and I aren't even talking about this, but I just made up an example. I need to move into a brand new house that we pay for by 2025, then perhaps I would be so focused on rushing to get it done by the year 2025 that I might sacrifice quality or I might feel rushed and feeling like this has to get done for some arbitrary reason. And so that can also happen with things like I want to get engaged by the year X or I want to heal my relationship anxiety by X date. And when we put these expectations on ourselves, then we don't allow the natural process of things to unfold. So One thing I'll talk about later is how it's really tough to manage growing versus being content with what you have. And I think that same principle applies to expectation versus reality. It doesn't mean that we never have expectations and that we always, quote, quote, settle for the reality. It can be an act of still co-creating with other people around us and making decisions about how we can grow and making decisions about how we can do things in our life that meet expectations more. And yet, if our expectations are really high and we know that oftentimes it's really hard to meet these expectations and then we judge ourselves or berate ourselves for not meeting these expectations and feel guilt or shame, then perhaps it's time to examine that pattern and the reason why we might be expecting so much from 
from ourselves. I was having this conversation with a client yesterday actually about how she grew up in a household where no one was ever sitting still. Things were always needing to get done and the next thing needed to happen and there was always this pressure to kind of do more subconsciously and that has fizzled into her life as an adult now. And so the grass is always greener. She feels like there's always the next box to check off. And I think many of us unfortunately live that way because it's just so common to be told, do this, check this off, get here, have more, be more, do more. And that's kind of like the capitalistic mentality, which isn't all bad, but can definitely have its consequences. So if you notice that you keep having really high expectations about how something should be and then you find that your expectations are disappointed because they're not met or you find yourself disappointed because the expectations are not met, then practice coming back to the acceptance of what is and then deciding when I accept things as they are right now, does that work for me or not? Or is there something else I need to do next? Is there another action I need to take? But instead of being disappointed by what is, we can't necessarily change what's already happened. And so practice accepting whatever's happened and then deciding to act on it if needed. Which brings me to my next point, which is that part of being human is practicing acceptance. So what I have come to find that happens so often with relationship anxiety and why this is kind of a parallel from relationship anxiety to just general life is that there's often a resistance of what's actually happening. So people, myself included, are like, let me get rid of this relationship anxiety. I don't want it to be here. Instead of thinking, thinking, okay, this is here. Now, how can I work to manage this? We're trying to kind of go backwards and go back in time and undo something that can't necessarily be undone instead of acknowledging its presence and then saying, how can I have a relationship with this? How can I show up so that this thing maybe doesn't have full control over me, but I'm still in the driver's seat and I can actually take actions that either soothe or manage this anxiety so that I'm back in the driver's seat of my life. And so there's this urge of resisting what's uncomfortable, an urge of resisting things that maybe aren't going exactly how we think they should, a resistance of how life is unfolding, maybe even a resistance of ourself for having relationship anxiety or having difficult feelings like, oh, I can't believe I think this way. I'm such a bad person, such a bad partner, whatever it is. And so much in our life, I feel like it's it's a common thing for me and I know many other people, we are just resisting things about ourselves. Like I shouldn't think this way or I shouldn't act this way, resisting parts of who we are. We also sometimes, especially in relationship anxiety situations, we can resist love or resist our partner maybe for having a different lens of the world than we do or resisting people who are not exactly like us because it's uncomfortable to see other perspectives. And so it's a practice of just being human in general, but a practice in relationships and having relationship anxiety to shift from I want to avoid this to how can I show up now that this is here, which I kind of already said, but I'll just repeat it. And a mantra that you can kind of 
ask yourself or check in with yourself is how can I accept what is while taking action towards what I'd like to create? And it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act for sure. But how can I accept what is and take action towards what I'd like to create? It's a very subtle nuance, but acceptance and then taking action is what I found much more helpful than resistance and then taking action. It's just a different energy. Another thread or pillar here of relationship anxiety that's also present in general life is the practice of embracing transitions and change. Now, I think it's pretty common for people to be resistant of change because change means uncertainty and change means not fully knowing how things will go so it doesn't feel fully safe. You are absolutely not alone if you are resistant to change. And I would say this pillar probably is one of the ones that almost all people have experienced in some way, shape, or form. I think that part of my journey in relationship anxiety has really been about not only embracing bigger transitions like the transition to move to Sweden or the transition to get engaged or whatever it is, but the micro moments of transition, like the ebbs and flows that inevitably happen, like periods of deeper connection and then micro periods of disconnection or periods of feeling like me and Nate are in a great groove and then periods where maybe there's more misunderstandings, whatever it is. And these transitions and change don't only happen just at a big level, like moving in together or whatever it is, but they also just happen in the day to day. And for someone who is really focused on on monitoring how they feel in each moment, there might be a lot of micro transitions happening every day where sometimes you feel really open hearted and connected to someone or something and then sometimes you don't. This can happen even at work. Like there's a new announcement and they're doing a reorg of the company and you're like, oh my gosh, what's that going to mean for my role? Or you hear about corporate layoffs happening and it brings up fear around could that happen to me? So even though we might know the only thing that's constant is change because things are constantly changing in our body, um, like our cells are constantly changing, the weather's constantly changing. There's so much that constantly changes, but sometimes we resist this and we just want things to stay the same. And so one tool or practice that I have found for me specifically that I try to do when I can as often as possible is if I know there is change coming up, I try to have one little ritual or daily practice to find ways to remain consistent. So even if that's just a simple journaling practice or making sure to try to go for a walk outside for 10 minutes every day that week or maybe it's doing a breathwork routine in the morning, whatever it is, something that can help me kind of tune back in. And I have had a lot of transitions happening over the last three years when Nate and I travel from Sweden back to the US or back to Sweden from the US. And I haven't always been the best at staying consistent to my routines as much as I would like. And so in the maybe midway through or towards the end of our time traveling back and forth to Sweden, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at being more, I guess, consistent with my routines because I realize that I can get so thrown off and it's kind of jarring when you are going from one time zone to another and you're just going from one routine to a whole other routine. So finding little, little small ways to be as consistent as possible is helpful in that context. A few more things to explore here. The practice of taking personal responsibility and taking ownership for your life is a big theme 
of not only relationship anxiety, but also general. So this is such a big piece of relationship anxiety because when I was in the thick of my relationship anxiety, I was making Nate fully responsible for my anxiety. So it must be because he's causing me to feel anxious. It must be because I'm in the wrong relationship because of Nate and anything that he does throws me off. And so he's the one triggering me or that social media post triggered me. That person triggered me. And it's this notion of taking our own feelings or thoughts and externalizing them onto other people versus leaning in and saying, ooh, I feel triggered right now. I wonder what that's about. Or, hmm, I feel triggered right now. Let me take some action to try and connect back to this moment and connect back to myself and get regulated here. And this is super common. So there's no judgment or blame or shame here. It's just very common for it to be kind of an external problem or like that thing's wrong, this thing isn't working versus, hmm, I wonder my role in all of this. And if this is something that we haven't necessarily practiced, maybe when we grew up, we didn't have to take as much responsibility for things for whatever reason. then we tend to have a fear that comes along with this because there's this fear of if I take responsibility, then that means it's my fault. Or if I take responsibility, then that means it's all on me. And what if I make the wrong choice? And I totally get it. And I've been there. And yet... Nothing is more empowering than realizing that you are in the driver's seat and that you don't need to rely on other people to be the one that's telling you something is okay. That doesn't mean just throw out anybody's opinion and it doesn't mean that we don't need community and we don't need other people in our life, but we get to be the one that's ultimately making the final decisions after we have input from loved ones and friends and family instead of the other way around. I mentioned this earlier, but when it comes to taking personal responsibility and ownership, I think it's so important to share again that the things that are in our control are our actions and our beliefs. It's not the thoughts we think or the feelings that we feel because you can have like 60,000 thoughts a day or maybe there's a sudden feeling that comes up in your body and you don't necessarily have control over that. But what you do have control over is how you respond. Even if you don't respond right away how you would like, you still can always check in and say, okay, well, even though it didn't go how I would like it to, how do I want to respond now? Once you are conscious that you're able to make a choice, how do I want to move forward next? And so this has been a huge, huge wake up call for me in my own life that maybe there's a lot of stuff that I wasn't wanting to take responsibility for and it was showing up in my relationship. And so when I started to be aware of this, it really helped me not just in my relationship and feeling less anxious, but also just in general in my life. I'm going to move into this next category. It just started raining pretty hard outside. I'm hoping that you can't hear too much of the background noise that I'm hearing on the mic. And if you can, I'm hoping it's a nice little ASMR for you as you listen to these next two categories that I'm going to talk about. So similarly to kind of taking personal responsibility and ownership, Part of relationship anxiety and part of being human is this invitation to explore your values, your desires, your goals, and to envision what life could look like. Now, this can be a really daunting task. It can be really confusing. And I don't think everyone has this clarity naturally without experimenting. And that's okay. But when we really begin to build a relationship with ourselves and what we do value in life, what we find important, 
Um, what are some of the desires that we have of things that could fulfill us both in and out of a relationship? What are the goals that we have for ourselves? And not just like, oh, I think it'd be nice to, to have a relationship, but like what could the relationship look like if you really work as a team with your partner? What are the things that you could accomplish both individually and outside of Um, the relationship, but also with a partner if you put your mind to it? Um, What are the things that you could accomplish in a career or what hobbies do you want to spend your time doing? What are activities that would make you feel really nourished in your life? So I know that these things are like common questions that people share to ask yourself, but I don't think we often sit down and actually do it. Like we don't often sit down and think, what are some of my goals? Or if we have sat down and done that, maybe we've had a very specific exact goal, which I talked about earlier, that we feel like we have to meet in this exact way with this exact type of person. And so there's this balancing act of being flexible, but also still having a vision that I think is the sweet spot. And it can be scary when we look ahead at our lives and think, eek, what am I doing? How do I know if this is the right path? So some of this is an experiment. Some of this is seeing as you go. But I really do think that if we don't even sit down and explore the exercise of what's important to me, then we're going to potentially miss out on the opportunity to go after that thing. So one tool that I have found was really, really helpful, this was discussed in episode 21 with star Jesse Taylor, is this value garden exercise. And I'm not going to do it justice as well as he explained it in that podcast episode. But essentially, the value garden has seven to eight categories. The categories are health and well-being, friends and family, intimate relationship, creative expression, fun, relaxation, and then career and finances. And then you can add in another one if you'd like, like faith or spirituality. And essentially, the exercise is to write down five specific actions under each of those buckets of ways that you can, quote, quote, water the value garden. So if you were thinking of this as the metaphor of the garden, you water the garden through taking specific actions towards those value categories. So for example, walking outside for me falls into the relaxation category and it also falls into my health and well-being category. Double date nights falls under friends and family and also it falls under fun and it also falls under my relationship category with Nate as things that I enjoy doing. So these are things that make you feel like you are taking action towards those value categories. And they can be things that you've done before or things that you would like to start doing more of. There's no right or wrong answer here. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. You don't have to implement this every single day. However, I have found that when I show up and water my value garden, I feel like I am moving towards goals of mine in these categories. And some of the things are pretty simple, like sit down for a 10-minute breathwork video. That's not necessarily making huge leaps and bounds of progress in one day. But if I sat down for a 10-minute breathwork video every day or most days for years and years, then who's to say what can happen? So I think that when you're exploring your values or desires or goals, sometimes a more specific exercise like that can be really helpful. So again, episode 21, I think it's about like 50 minutes in the episode if you want to listen to him watch 
walking me through that categoried exercise. And I actually share some of what's in my value garden on that podcast as well. Last but not least is a big thing that I have struggled with and I continue to struggle with sometimes. And Nate and I have talked about this like a thousand times. And I think it's a challenge of being human, but also very much a challenge for those with relationship anxiety is the act of balancing our innate desire for growth and learning and improvement as humans with our desire to be content, which is peacefully happy and grateful for what we have. Now, if you think about these things on a spectrum, they're kind of almost at the opposite ends, right? So if we are only grateful for what we have, then we may not want to improve any of it, which doesn't necessarily mean that that's wrong or bad, but someone who is only content with what they have may not be as wanting to grow. Now, on the more opposite end of that, someone who's only wanting to grow may not be content with what they have. And I tend to lean more towards being growth-minded. And I would like to continue my practices of being more content and more peacefully happy and more able to balance the two. Now, I don't think there's necessarily a way to be perfectly in balance here. There's going to be ebbs and flows of seasons of being more content and happy with what you have and then seasons of maybe growing more. But as humans... We are in some ways wired to have a negativity bias and the tendency to look for what's missing. That's what's helped us protect ourselves and help us stay safe. And yet it's not always helpful for us to feel more grateful or happy. And so if you, like me, would like to practice the act of gratitude more, as cheesy as it sounds, gratitude is something we have to practice. It's not necessarily just something we have or we don't have. Brene Brown has shared that gratitude Attitude is a practice, not an attitude, even though there's that saying, the attitude of gratitude. So the tool here is to actually cultivate some sort of gratitude ritual or practice for yourself. And some people like writing out lists. Some people like waking up or going to sleep and just playing out a couple things that they're grateful for and visualizing it. There's many ways to practice gratitude. You can express it out loud to somebody or to someone in your life. There's the act of almost like romanticizing your life and writing out all of the little ways that your life has been so great that day, whatever it is. There's no shortage of options. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard someone sharing or the practice of gratitude. And I encourage you, if you feel like this is something that you could build more of, to really see how this could be something that even if you just spend 60 minutes on it a day that you could weave into your routine. So just to quickly recap here, the themes of relationship anxiety that also span out to just being human are feeling feelings, especially the ones that are uncomfortable, being okay with life's uncertainties, an invitation to build more trust in ourselves and our path that we're looking to take, which is unique to us, the balancing act of expectations versus reality, the practice of acceptance, the call to embrace transitions and change, the practice of taking personal responsibility and ownership for your life and being responsible for your feelings and the way that you show up, exploring your values, desires, and goals, And then the act of balancing desire for growth with desire for being content. 
Thank you for going on this exploration with me. I think it's a very important topic to acknowledge because sometimes if you're navigating relationship anxiety or just general challenges in a relationship, it can feel like, oh, this is so hard. And why me? And does anyone else experience these things? And even if there's other people who are not experiencing these specific things within their relationship, I can guarantee you that part of being human and part of just showing up on this planet and living life is navigating everything that I just talked about today. So I hope that makes you feel less alone in your experience. And I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.